You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back to Two Goalies, One Mike, episode 21. I am Johnny Cullen, joined always by Dwayne. Dwayne, how we doing? Feeling great, Cully. Uh, again, another, another beautiful day in, in Buffalo here. Uh, sun shining. And you know what, man? I am excited for the guests we have on here. We have a legend of the position. Uh, multiple Stanley Ooh. Cup wins and just an absolute pleasure for me to welcome in Grant Fear. Grant, thanks again for joining us here. My pleasure. Hope you guys are having a good day so far. It's been eventful. we uh, fortunate enough to have a busy day here at Two Goalies, One Mike, uh, a legend himself in Clint Malarchuk. But, uh, I mean, Grant, you were, you were on, the, on the bucket list of guests, man. And uh, you know what? You've done so much for the game and, and tons of success on and off the ice. So this is a special one for us. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. And uh, like I said, man, um, I know we, we talked about it, you know, before we, we, we went on air that uh, – you know, we're a little bit of a different podcast. We're, like I said, we got three goalies in a room talking about goalies, goalie stuff. So, you know, I hope you're as excited as we are, Grant. I'm actually looking forward to it. Goalie <laughs> stuff is always good. So, right. Grant, I, I just wanted to start us off. Um, you know, obviously we're in, we're in a different time here. Um, where, have you, where are you posted up right now for, uh, you know, going through this pandemic? I'm loitering down in Palm Springs, California. Not a bad spot. Good right. spot for the golf game. Yes. I actually just got out. I haven't played many rounds this year, life of a, a dad with two youngsters. Uh, but I was able to get out. I shot an 83, which for me is phenomenal. Um, nice. Yeah, it was, you know what, I, uh, I missed the days of, of play, you know, training in the summer, you know, get in, get an early workout, hop on the ice, and then you're out of there by noon. You got the golf game. Those were the days. Those are good he days. To, he forgot to mention it was a par three course, Grant. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Um, no, so Grant, um, speaking of that, you know, on the golf, on the golf game, was that something that you did while you played or is it something that, you know, you've done more since you retired? When did you start golf? I started when I started playing junior. I started to play a little bit and all through my career, I played a fair amount. Come playoff time, every off day I played. So my way of relaxing, it's nice to get away and it was four hours of peace and quiet. Yeah, I love it. And, 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 you know, we're used to getting vulcanized rubber zipped by our heads. So to get outside and enjoy the, you know, the scenery and, and just I, I find golf to be relaxing, too. Sometimes my competitive side gets the best of me, though. You know, like it's, it's frustrating in a sense. But, you know, I've learned to more enjoy it over the past couple of years. Well, that's the fun part of golf is it's kind of like goaltending. It can be frustrating at times. So, oh, yeah. But it, it's just nice to get out, get away from the world a little bit. It's kind of like playing goal. You're in the, once you're in the crease. You get away from the world a little bit. Yeah, the lonely end of the rink. You're down there. We're in our own little world. So 
So, uh, Grant, I, I usually like to start off asking guys, you know, about, you know, their minor hockey, what kind of got them into the position. So, um, you know, you're a Western Canadian guy. I am born and raised just outside of Edmonton. Okay. So what made it, what, what made you strap on the pads for the first time? How did you kind of foray into the position of goaltending? Well, you know what, when I first tried out for a hockey team, nobody wanted to be the goalie because we played in an outdoor ring. Oh, it always happens. So the equipment looked kind of cool and I thought, okay, chance I get to stay on the ice the whole time. You don't have to change with anybody. Get neat equipment. So I volunteered the first day and been a goalie since day one. And right up until the very last time I put my skates on, I was a goalie. So, and it's never changed. So, you know, playing minor hockey out there, did you know that you wanted to play in the WHL? Because, I mean, I was an OHL guy, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for the dub. Um, and, and I've always looked at it that, you know, some of the best goalie prospects come out of there. You got – it's a tough league, right? And I remember um, playing for Team USA. Uh, that was my first sniff going against some of the WHL guys. And Evander Kane was on that team and some others. Um, but not to call the, the Quebec Leafs soft or, or the O soft, but, I mean, let's – the, o, the WHL is, you know, let's just say it's a little bit meaner. And it's, you know what I'm trying to say? It's more of a pro version of a league because you there's more travel. So especially back then, I mean, back in the 80s, there was a lot of travel to it. The teams were run like pro organizations where you practiced mid-morning just like a professional organization. So it wasn't so much about education and such at that time. It was about prepping you to turn pro. So, I, Dwayne, I, me and you have talked about this off the air, but – I thought that, uh, you know, I had a lot of travel playing in, uh, you know, I had my longest trip grant was, was seven hours to the Sioux. But, I mean, that was probably one of your shorter trips, right? Well, I played in Victoria. So I had an hour and a half boat ride before we ever even get the wheels moving. So an hour and a half on the bus. And then if we went to New West, it was about another 45 minutes. Otherwise, it was another three and a half, four hours to Seattle. Those were our close trips. That's incredible. And so when you guys played the, like out of conference or out of division, that's when we're talking the 13, 14 hour bus trips, right? 22, 23 hour bus trips. 22, 23. Goodness. How do you, how do you, how do you stay on a bus? Uh, You know what? We were lucky enough. We had bunks, but my first year as a rookie, you didn't jump in the bunks. You got to sit in your seat and sleep in your seat. So, but a lot of times you would stop and you'd play along the way or, my first year, we drove from Victoria out to Winnipeg and then played our way all the way back. So, 17 days. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> on a I, bus. I, I, I would get stir crazy, man. I wouldn't be able to handle that, that much time spent on a bus. Like, especially with – like, I, mean, I, I love the camaraderie, but, like, you know, eventually you're going to get sick of each other. The fun part was you didn't know any better. We were all young. Yeah. So, you'd play three and three nights and – by the time you got to the fourth night, you didn't care. You were tired. You just wanted to sleep. You're so to sleep. You shut it down. I had I, – so I was used to the normal buses. My first uh, sleeper bus, Grant, I was playing for the Ontario Rain. And yep. uh, we took – it was fun because we, um, we didn't fly much, but we, we were going up. I think it was um, the Colorado team. I want to say the Thunderbirds maybe. Thunderbirds, uh, Screaming Eagles. Oh, no. You know what? It was Idaho Steelheads. It was the Idaho Steelheads. Oh, okay. So yep. it, was, it was weird because I asked him how long the, the, the bus driver, how long the trip was. And he said, what do you mean going there or coming back? And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? Because of the hills, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was an extra four hours going up and, and then coming home. Um, but you're right. I was a rookie in, in the coast back then. So, yeah, uh, Dwayne. The, so the bunks are, you know, they're, they're stacked on top of each other. But 
I wasn't lucky enough to get one of those. And when I did, it was uh, the bottom, uh, sorry, it was the top bunk and somebody had spilled uh, a bottle of orange soda. So I hopped in there. Uh, It's a long trip. And I laid down Grant and I'm just immediately soaked. And (laughs) I don't know if I was intentional or what, but um, I was just lucky enough to to be able to lay down for a little bit. But um, I'm guessing if you're a rookie, it was probably intentional. Yeah, (laughs) I'm thinking so too. Um, So, uh, real quick, before I get to, you know, your time with the Victoria Cougars, I was, you know, curious about, um, you know, your mother was part of the Enoch Cree Nation? Um, no, that's just where I ended up playing. I mean, I was okay. adopted adopted by parents that was phenomenal, but have a little bit of an Indian background and was able to play at Enoch for a couple of years. So, played in an all-native team. And actually, a pretty good hockey team. Yeah, so I um, – there, oh, By the way, the nicest team. bus we ever had, too. I love it. Yeah. I, 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 there was a, here in, uh, you know, Western New York, you know, there is obviously the, the Iroquois natives, but there was a tournament up near Sudbury. Um, when I was coaching at Fredonia, one of our players is from up that way. And I was asking about it cause it was one of the, the tournaments uh, put on the reservation. And he was telling me the hockey was unbelievable. There's some, you know, big name sponsors being tossed around, but just how they put these teams together was pretty fascinating and something I was really unfamiliar with. So that must've yeah. been a cool experience then, eh? Well, it was because there was kids from three or four different towns around Enoch and a lot of good players, but they treated us like gold. I mean, I think that was the greatest thing is our team was competitive and being competitive, they gave us the best of everything. That's awesome. So obviously, you know, you you play your time, you know, throughout minor hockey. Um, Did you get drafted or so the draft wasn't back, wasn't around back then in the WHL, correct? Was it the protected players list? It was just a players list back then. So I got invited out to Victoria when I was, well, Frank, the first time I went out, I was 15 and skated for the first week in training camp. And then the next year I went out as a 16-year-old and managed to hang around for a little while. I mean, so it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, and that's 79-80 season. You went 30-12, and 12, which for being a younger goalie, those are incredible numbers. Uh, you guys went a couple rounds deep in playoff, and I'm sure that prepared you for the next year with a, with a trip to the Mem Cup. What was that season like? It looked like you played 59 games that year. It's pretty much every other game. Iron Man. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of fun to play. And we had good hockey teams. I mean, the first year we made it right to the Western – well, actually right to the WHL final. And we ended up losing to Regina at that time, who had Dougie Wickenheiser and a couple of guys that were pretty good hockey players. So some unfinished business. The next year, I don't think we lost a whole lot. I think we only lost maybe 10 or 11 games the whole year. Your personal record is 48 and 9 and 1. Not too shabby, bud. Not Coming too back. shabby, buddy. Oh, so that's it was a good year. And then we played good right up until the Memorial Cup, and we laid an egg in the Memorial Cup. So it just. Now, who was hosting that year? Was it, was it, was it a Western team hosting? No, it was out in Windsor. Oh, okay. So I played for this. Oh, God. Yeah, Dwayne's <laughs> Oh, God. In case you haven't noticed, Grant, I haven't cut the cord yet. I'm still hanging on. <laughs> For the glory days. Dude, but, find, a, find a way to tee him up, please. Let's, hey, that, so, wasn't let's planned, talk. that wasn't planned. Yeah, I know it wasn't, but it's just perfect. <laughs> no, so that must have been in the old Windsor um, Arena, right downtown, right? That was the old building. So, I yeah, we played, Cal- we played Calgary in a seven-game series. We beat them in game seven and had to leave the next day to head for the Memorial Cup. So what was that like? I mean, I, I think the Memorial Cup might be one of the hardest trophies to win. Now, you've had the chance to play for that and the Stanley Cup. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a different format, right? And for people that are unfamiliar with the Memorial Cup, it's four teams. So you have the champion. Of actually, the we're, I'm old. It was only three teams back then. Okay. So the host team didn't get an automatic bid? No host team. Oh, I love it. So, so you guys get in there. Uh, it's obviously a different format from now, but, you know, it's a lot of pressure in that first game. You win that first game, you set yourself up. And if, if you don't, uh, you know, it's a lot of climbing upwards. So what was that experience like and, and how did you do in the tournament? You know, it was a lot of fun. We didn't play very well. I mean, we, I think we lost our first game 7-1. So it wasn't off to a very good start, but we won our next one. And then we lost, I think, by one or lost by a goal or two to Cornwall, who ended up going on winning the Memorial Cup that year. So They had a pretty another, loaded team then, didn't they? Another, another pretty hockey team. Some guy you could draft in first overall, Dale Howardchuk. Yeah, not, not too bad. <laughs> he had a decent Cody career. Cody Arneal. They, they had a pretty good squad there. Same same draft year as our previous guest, too, Clint Malarchuk. Yeah, Mallard was in the league at that time. So it was just fun talking to him a little bit about, um, you know, what his junior experience is like. And, you know, every goalie, you know, develops at their own pace, right? And, and we all, you know, everybody has their own journey and how, you know, some guys get drafted and are able to, you know, step right into the National League. Other guys develop for, you know, four, five, six years. We had Olaf Kolzig on, and, you know, he bounced up and down for quite a bit after being high pick. He's another WHL guy. So for you, you know, getting drafted eighth overall, especially by, you know, a Western Canadian team, and you said you mentioned you grew up right outside Edmonton. That must have been, you know, a thrill. What was that whole experience like? You know, it was awesome. And the best part is I had no pressure. I mean, when I got to Edmonton, Andy Mogan just finished playing against the Montreal Canadiens and had a phenomenal series the year before. They had Ronnie Lowe there. They had Gary Edwards. They had Eddie Mio. So they had lots of NHL guys there. So I had no pressure. I just got to go out and play. So didn't worry about it. Just assumed I was going back to junior and managed to stick around for a while. Never heard a guy say that. Yeah, there was no pressure going up to play in the NHL. Like yeah, First overall. First, first round. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Like, man, that takes some swagger, Grant. I love it. Like, uh, you know, I mean, Grant, like, Grant you, like, it was the beginning of what would end up being a dynasty. But, you know, it, you know, that in itself, I mean, I, again, I've never heard that in a position, especially where all the pressure, as we discussed earlier, was just on, on you. That, that, that's awesome that you came in with that kind of swagger. But when you go in and you're, I think I was sixth or seventh on the depth chart, you're not really worried about it. You assume you're going back yeah. to play one more year of junior. Yeah. So it made it, it actually made it a lot easier. Well, I mean, and not to mention too, you mentioned Moger. Uh, are you, are you still buddies with him? Do you still talk to him? Yeah. Oh yeah. We're still good friends. That's awesome. So the one thing I remember sticking out, my older brother was a goalie grant. And um, so, and we, we were talking about before that my dad is a special breed for not letting only one go, one son play goalie, but two. So I, I kind of, he was a history buff too for hockey. And um, you know, I remember him talking and, and you were one of his idols uh, but just to see who you played well. We, we've talked about it before on the show, just how important your goalie partner is. And we've all had stellar goalie partners, and we've all had goalie partners where it was, you know, a Shitty rock. ones. Yeah. So, Shitty ones. <laughs> yeah. I've had nothing but great partners. I got lucky that way. So that's what I wanted to mention. You had, you know, to start your National League career, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Andy Moog and then Bill Ranford? I had Ronnie Lowe my first year. So a good veteran guy who'd been around the league which great to have as a partner and a roommate, so you somebody to talk to about it. Then I had Andy for a bunch of years. Then I had Billy Ranford. Then I got Billy traded. Then where'd I go? I got traded to Toronto. So in Toronto, I had Rick Walmsley to start and Jeff Reese. And then we drafted Felix Potvan. The so cat. I had the, 
So I had the cat with me there. Then I get traded to Buffalo and Dom's already there. So then I've got Dominic as a partner. I get moved out to LA and Kelly Rudy's going through a career year there. So then I got Kelly as a partner and then go to St. Louis. And the first year I had Bruce Racine to start with, and then they brought in Johnny Casey. So, you know, you know, you want to add too, like I, just knowing the history uh, with Dom here in Buffalo, like I said, you, know, you have to look far. You see him in the jersey in the back uh, wall here. I got a feeling like, yeah, it, 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 for, for, for at least with him, was it a situation where, yeah, uh, we're, we're good partners, but was it a situation where, you know, you want you wanted to be in the net, you're competitive, you know, was oh, there any animosity? Was there any animosity between you two here in Buffalo? Like, you know, I, you know, that's my net type of mentality. No, actually, we got along great. I mean, that was the fun part. And I knew Dom was good. I mean, I got to see him in the Canada Cups. I played in Canada Cups against him. So you knew how oh, good he was. Oh, yeah, that's right. He just hadn't had an opportunity to show it yet. So it was only yeah. a matter of time before he got a chance to play. Yeah, and he came in the league, you know, late, late at, like, I think he was drafted in, I want to say he was drafted in maybe 81. I'd have to look it up. I, I, I should I know this. I don't remember what league it was, what year it was, but Chicago he, brought him in. They had Ed Belfour there. So you already yeah. have your, you already have your guy there. Um, and he, he had just come, he was voted, you know, the, the uh, best goalie in Europe, I think two years in a row or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he, there, there, there were a lot of expectations at least for, for him, for himself. And then he comes in, he's not playing in Chicago. He's sent down to the IHL. Um, and at one point he wanted just, he wanted out of his contract even, I think. And, you know, he just wanted to go back to the check. And then he finally got, you know, John Muckler brought him over to Buffalo and, you know, the rest is history. But I, I like to look back, you know, at his career. It's just like, man, you know, how do you get an opportunity to kind of like wah or uh, Marty oh, yeah. what the record, what the record books might look like because he just, you know, once he, once he was given a shot, he, ne he never looked back and you've seen the type of individual hardware he put up. It's just such oh, yeah. a shame too, that he didn't get a shot earlier. It just, Places where he got stuck. I mean, with Eddie playing yeah. in Chicago, he didn't get a chance to play. When I first got to Buffalo, Dom was already there. Didn't get a chance to play right away. So, it's, for him, it was just bad timing. Yeah, it's it's terrible timing. So much timing. of our position is is the timing, right? And you guys, you brought up a couple of great examples. Um, and Marty Baran, we had on last week, Grant, and, and and he made a great point in that it's it's you know, being at the right place at the right time and being to the best of your abilities. Um, and it just so happened to work out for him, you know, throughout his career. But it was really interesting to, to, to see, you know, just how different history might be had certain, you know, goalies or certain injuries not happen, right? And, and he was the benefactor of some injuries to, you know, guys ahead of him in the death chart that led to him ultimately, you know, getting a sniff in the NHL and sticking. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I think that's a fascinating point that it doesn't get talked about a ton. Uh, because it's all about, you know, getting that opportunity at the right time, right? It is. It's all about timing. I mean, I was lucky enough. I went into Edmonton, and then Glenn Sather gave me a chance right away. Most 18-year-olds most eighteen year olds don't get a chance. You never so, see that today. So, when you, which is too bad, because I still think 18-year-olds can play. They all worry about them now. But if you don't give them a chance to play, you don't know if he can play. Well, so, I, we've seen with Carter Hart in Philadelphia, he's somebody that stepped in at a young age and kind of, yeah. and there has been that stigma that younger goalies, they need time to develop, which is probably true in most cases, but there's obviously guys that can step in and play right away. 
and I'm happy to see that that Carter Hart has stepped in and Kata Hot has stepped in and, and played really well. Uh, you know what? I, I like his game. He's a great mix of, you know, sealing the ice well down low, but he moves, uh, you know, extremely well. There's no wasted movements there in his game. Yeah. I mean, nope. He's one of those blue chip prospects that at 18 you thought was going to be able to play. So it was nice that Philly gave him the opportunity because a lot of times, even if teams think you can play, they won't give you that opportunity. So it was nice that Philly recognized that and gave them the opportunity. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. And I think part of that, that was, you know, the year before they had gone through maybe seven or eight goaltenders, and they had a lot of injuries there. So it goes back to our, our, our latter point about, you know, opportunities, you know, finding a way and then seizing the most of that opportunity. It is. I mean, a lot of it comes trust and man for management. So I mean, that's Go ahead. Sorry. You've got to have a management that's willing to give you that opportunity. And in Edmonton, they were good enough to give me that opportunity. And Andy, I think Andy's only what, a year and a half older, maybe two years older than I am. So for the two of us, we're both young. I mean, I think I was 18 and Andy was 20 when we started. So, so I mean, that must have been an interesting dynamic, especially, you know, at the start of your dynasty. Obviously, you don't know it's a dynasty at that time, although it must have been fun to look around that dressing room. I can't imagine what the practices were like with some of those studs. But going into that 83 year – um, you guys are going up against, uh, what was it? The Islanders, right. In the finals. And, but you know, so did you and Andy, you know, you, you guys, who got the most in the regular season that year? Um, although Andy, Stan, Andy, Andy played most of that year. And then going into the playoffs, you know, he was the guy, um, you know, what was that like, you know, kind of being a backup there, um, playing against that unbelievable Islanders team. You know, I, I've seen in documentaries about how, you know, teammates of yours said that was really, uh, you know, a litmus test for you guys to say, hey, this is what we need to be. And, and, you know, getting swept by them. How did that, you know, hey, I guess it's a two-part question. What was that like, you know, seeing that and trying to be a good teammate? And, you know, how, how important was that, you know, losing that series and eventually leading you guys to, you know, four straight? Well, it was very important actually for us to lose, which is hard to say because nobody wants to lose. But it also realized that we had to be better as a team. And as for not playing in the playoffs, it gave me a chance to sit and experience what the finals were like. And you get to watch a guy like Billy Smith, who at that time yep. was the, the money goalie. So you got to see how he played the game, how he reacted, what his mannerisms were like. So it was a good learning experience. And that was like one dynasty being handed off to another because those, those, those Islanders teams, that was a dynasty. You, you, know, you know, you had Clark Gillies. Uh, Butch Goring, Bob Bourne, Popvin, Bossy, like you said, Billy Smith, uh, Bob Nystrom, all these uh, – Trotschek, I almost forgot his name. Um, just all these unbelievable players. And then 
you lose to them, but little do you know, you're getting ready to come into your own dynasty, you know, you know, of winning the cup over and over and over again. Yeah. We had no idea. We were just playing. So we were having yeah. fun. I mean, that was the great thing about our team is that we had fun being together and we had fun playing. And in 83, we probably were having more fun than we should have had because we weren't quite as focused as we needed to be to beat the Islanders. But in 84, we realized how good we had to be. So what was that like for you? You guys going to the next year, was Moger still with you in 84? And he was still there. So, so you know, did you ever talk to, to, to say there after the fact and, and what made him go with you for the 84 playoffs? Was he just wanted new blood or what was that like? Because I know that you, you ended up getting the, the start for playoffs, but obviously, you know, going down, what was it in game three? Yeah. You know what? I never asked. And you don't really care. I mean, you got right. it was nice to give me the opportunity during the year. We usually split our time about 50, 50. So come the first round of the playoffs, you just waited to hear who's going to play, and you knew that if you played and you played well, you'd get to keep playing. So I got lucky enough that I get to play in the first round that year, and things went well, and it kind of snowballed from there. So that must have been, you know what, like we talked about it, you don't know it's a dynasty at the time. You, you never know when you're going to be back in that opportunity. You mentioned how, you know, playing against the Islanders, you know, maybe you guys didn't have the right mindset. But after that, you know, you guys had a pretty unreal stretch. I think, what was it, winning four out of five. Um, so looking back yep. on that, you guys meet the Islanders again in, in, in the finals. It reminds me of that similar situation with Pittsburgh and Detroit. What was it, about eight, nine years ago, right? How yep. Pittsburgh had lost the year before. And uh, it must have been satisfying for you guys to, you know, kind of, I guess it doesn't matter who you play in the finals as long as you get the win. But, you know, having the opportunity to, to, to pretty much dethrone the Islanders. and Took and the torch. You guys are, yeah, you know, arriving on the scene. So that, what was that first Stanley Cup run like? It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. But you don't take the time to enjoy it because you're so focused on winning. So when you retire, it's nice to look back at it and enjoy it. But when you're playing, you're just worried about game after game. And with Andy and myself, you didn't know if you were playing till the morning of the game. He wanted us both to prepare like we were That's playing. Wild. So during the morning skate, he would tell you who was playing. So you never knew right up until game day. I don't know about you, Cully, but that would drive me nuts. I had a few coaches that did that. And uh -huh. yes, now that I, I, I coach, I try to give my goalies as much heads up as possible. But I do also see his point, as much as I might not agree with it, you know, at that time, anything can happen. You know, if let's just say you tell a guy he's starting, you know, two days prior, he goes down with food poisoning or something. You want that backup to be prepared. And yeah. I guess, I mean, it's all on the individual to be prepared, but I can understand his reasoning. Not that I agree with it, but I mean, it obviously worked. Um, you guys go in and, and beat the Islanders in what, five games. So we, when you went down in game three, was there any, were you, were you done for, for the rest of the playoffs for sure? Or was it a day-to-day -day kind of injury? I'm, I'm not sure what it was. Oh no, we were done. The shoulder was cooked at that time. So once we went down, we, what did I do? Bruised the AC joint at that time. So I could barely get an arm above my hip. Was it glove so, or blocker? Do you remember? Oh, uh, it was my glove hand. Okay. So, small, pro small problem. <laughs> Just a little bit, eh? Need uh, that glove hand. So, yeah, no, we, we knew we were done. So, going back, you know, obviously, you guys win it. Like you said, that you're so focused on winning it. Um, but, you know, you had some, you know, Hall of Fame players in that lineup. You returned most of that same group for the next year, right? We did. I think Glenn only changed usually two or three players each year. So we kept the same nucleus together the whole time. And then the next year you played that, you know, that Philly team, um, you know, coming off, you know, 
back-to-back years, or that'd be three years in a row in the finals. That's a lot of hockey, not a lot of, you know, off time, uh, but, you know, another solid, you know, that was, so that was the first, that was the first year that you got to, to finish the, the, the series, right? It was. What was which, that which like? Is, it's always nice. I mean, it's fun to be on the ice when you win the cup. So that part was good, but it was funny. After the first year we won, everybody got a taste of it. Once you get a taste of it, you want to win every year. It just makes that drive a little bit better. So, you know what? I, I hate to bring this up because we all have painful memories. You guys win back-to-back cups going into 86. Um, Steve Smith, I played against his son in, uh, in the OHL. Um, and I remember giving it to him for his old man scoring on you. But that, you know, it's such a – yeah, I know. I'm gutty. I was a bad guy. He had my number all year, Grant, so I had to even the playing field. Um, you know, but that's one of those – you know, iconic moments that, you know, the Calgary, you know, ends up obviously losing to Montreal, but that goal, you know, played a big role in, in you know, icing that series for him. Just a fluky play. I mean, going back, I know it's easy to, in hindsight, to, to change anything you do, but I, I mean, as a goalie, you're, you're tracking the puck still behind the net. It takes a bad bounce, right? Like, obviously, it's more on him than you, but, you know, looking back on it, um, Anything you would have done differently? I guess it's tough to, tough to say. No, I'd, I'd, I'd have done everything the same way. I thought I mean, so. It's, it's one of those things. It's just a bad bounce. But what it did is it let us focus and realize that we don't want to leave a game up to a bad bounce. Yeah. So I think we went out the next year after that and went 16-2 and two in the playoffs. So we didn't leave anything to a bad bounce. And you guys went 16-2 and two with sweeping the first three rounds getting to that, you know, playing against Philly again. And, and like we talked about – Broad Street Bullies. Yeah, with, with you guys, you know, going against the Islanders the year after they beat you, similar kind of situation. So Philly has all the juice in the world coming back, trying to get retribution on you. Um, you know, you played – you know, you had a phenomenal year that year. Um, that must have been satisfying, you know, after, you know, leaving the bad taste in your mouth from the year before, you know, getting, getting in and being able to, to hoist that cup again. You know, I'm, I was I was tempted to ask you, it might be hard to answer, but what was your most satisfying? What was the best cup for you? Well, they're all good because they're all one different ways. Right. I mean, different things happen over the course of the year. You've got different players, so they're all special in their own way. Well put. Was yeah. that so? That '87 year. Sorry, Dwayne. Uh, I just had to ask him that Canada Cup team. I mean, that's some of the best hockey I've ever seen. Um, I, I recently went back yep. and, and they it here in the States. Um, must have been special to be a part of that group. Um, there was a deep dive. Somebody for The Athletic wrote, uh, you know, kind of an in-depth piece, and they interviewed Paul Coffey and a few guys. Um, you know, playing for Mike Keenan, you know, who, who you just beat twice, right? I don't know if he was the coach for the first Philly team, but what was that? Yeah, man? it was. Yeah, it was? Oh, yeah. So, but you know what? It was, it was fun because you're playing with the best guys in the league. That roster is insane, Grant. Lemieux oh, and Gretzky on the same roster. That, that, that. Not I look at the guy, that, I look at some of the guys that didn't make it. Guys like Wendell Clark. and there's, You could have put a second team together of guys that got let go. I think that second Canadian yeah. team still would have beat the U.S. team. Um, it, that's coming from the is, It might have. It might have. They might have beaten us. It was that good. So I, uh, I had the opportunity to play for Doug Gilmore. He was my uh, head coach and GM for the Kingston Frontenacs. And you poor Doug, soul. 
Dougie, he was great to me. Uh, but, you know, he was, you know, he was a younger guy back then. But, man, seriously, this roster, you know, Dwayne, you mentioned the obvious guys. But, I mean, look at this decor. You had Ray Bork, Paul Coffey, uh, man, Craig Hartsburg, you know, Larry Murphy, James Patrick. Um, Larry Murphy, yep. So, what, I mean, you, those practices must have been, you know, intense. Well, they're fun. They're actually fun. Because as a goalie, you're trying to stop everybody. So, when you've got a group of the best guys in the world, it just makes practices way more fun. The Russian team, too, that, that they, were, they were absolutely stacked as well. And just looking at the roster here, it's – Yeah, they were – that's as good a team as I've played against. Yeah, you had, you know, you had uh, Igor Larionov, uh, you know – Makarov, Rutov, Fedestov, uh, and then obviously you have you know possibly the uh, the greatest goalie, Russian goalie ever, not playing the NHL, uh, Tretiak. Uh, Tretch didn't play that year. They, oh, they had Mish, they had Mishkin and Mishkin? oh no, it wasn't Tretiak, right? Yeah, Vlad, Vladdy's a little bit older than we were, so it was Mishkin and um, Belashakin. I think were the two goalies then. Mishkin. So I wanted to ask you this. I always thought that this was crazy that all three games of the finals ended up being six, five and nice people, defensive hockey. Yeah. And I don't think I just going back and watching it, it wasn't that the goaltending was bad. It was honestly that it was such an offensive pace game that you guys were trading chances back and forth. And just the way the Russians played, it was so fun to see at that time, you know, the two, you know, hockey cultures clashing because there was different schools of thought between, you know, how Canadians play or how the North Americans play versus how the Russians play. Um, but it just, it, honestly, if I had to show anybody, uh, you know, that was brand new to hockey, I might show them that three-game series. I can't imagine what it was like being a part of it. Uh, you, you almost have no time to be nervous, but, you know, you're playing in the form in Montreal for game one. So can you take us through what that, that first OT game was like and, you know, what the, what the mood is was after the game? You know, it's a lot of fun because you're looking forward to playing against the best players in the world. And we knew the Russians were as good as we were. So to play against them, it was actually a lot of fun. So the fact that, yeah, we lost in overtime 6-5, it just meant the next game was going to be that much harder. The next game we had to go to double overtime. So we, we knew that's the way it was going to be. In game two. Best hockey ever played. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people say that that is the best game ever played that game, too. Best hockey ever played. You guys are up after one, um, three to one. But, like, I, it must have been in that, in that tournament or in that, in that final series, no lead safe, right, as you guys proved. Well, no, it, was gonna come, it was going to come down to the last save somewhere in the last two or three minutes to make the difference in the game. That was the fun of it. So do you remember uh, Kaminsky's tying goal at the end of the game? Uh, not really. We, we try to forget goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. A, coming from a goalie, that's a gutless question. Um, but no, maybe, yeah. A lot of hockey to be played. I just remember the announcers kept talking about it, and obviously you can hear it on the broadcast, but um, in that Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, that place was buzzing, man. What was oh, it? No, it was, Did you that's as good a building as we played in. With the crowd as excited as it was, it's as fun as it's as much fun as you could possibly have playing in a game. And you knew you were playing for a country, which made it even more fun. I mean, just to have the the composure with, you know, because that was a unique time in the world too. So hockey was more than just hockey. The Canada Cup was more than just a tournament. And, and I mean, I'm sure you guys were aware of that, but I'm sure it wasn't talked about. Um, but I mean that Post meant a Cold lot. War. For, 
for yeah for the country man and i mean yeah. a lot of canadians take a lot of pride in that and, and for good reason um it just showed the you know not just the grit and determination but the resiliency of that group for you guys to to come back tie the series up and then that game three man they go up three nothing and i love this because they asked keenan did he think at all about pulling pulling you not that you were playing bad but you know some coaches like to pull it up and he said never even crossed my mind because you know you had been in that situation before and yep. and his his faith in you was paid you, you paid him back it paid off because you came back and then some big big time saves in that last game especially down the stretch um without oh man so, some phenomenal goaltending some big time saves it, it, as it you know as it got down to to the final couple minutes that last shift the, the face off in your end to your left side um, him putting out those guys. You remember anything going through your mind, or were you still locked into the, to, you know, the next save? Oh no, you're still locked into the game. You're not worried about it. But I mean, you know, you've got a chance anytime you've got Mario and Gretz on the ice together, and then you throw a guy like Dale Howarchuk into the mix. Dale Howarchuk. He ended up. He, so you have two of the best centers ever. Dale Howarchuk ends up taking that draw, and you yeah. know, breaking down that play. If if that doesn't happen the way it does, you guys don't go down and score that goal. But even, you know, your roster is so stacked. You got Larry Murphy that steps into that play, makes a great play in the neutral zone, kind of a baby pick there. And then, you know, the feed over across. What a goal that was. I mean, the building erupted. Did they have any – now, I forget. Do you remember after that goal was scored, did, did they have any sniffs at the end there in the last minute? Uh, not really. The guys pretty much locked it down after that. That's such a good feeling, isn't it? I mean, I don't it's know about you. a great feeling. I love it. Whenever we had the lead, guys, just, you know, keep it, keep it simple, keep it smart. Let's keep them to the outside. Especially for a group that wasn't known for their defense. Right. But yeah. we, could, we could play good defense if we had to. It just wasn't the style that we were playing. It was much, so much more open, like we discussed earlier. It was, you know, you, know, you would win a game 7-5, 8-6, and you would still be a th one of the three stars because you came up with the saves. And, like, I you know – it was, just, it was so much more about athleticism back then than it was about size. The equipment was so much smaller. It was heavier. You know, you, you had to rely on your athleticism to make saves, whereas today, you know, you know, me and Cully, how many times have we talked about this, just, you know, relying on your size and positioning and having pucks just hit you, you know. And the butterfly wasn't even – even wasn't really uh, – not want to say relevant, but it wasn't a thing back then. It was a more stand-up style. and. You know, you know, uh, it was um, like I said, the athleticism played so much more into it than it back then than it does now. Well, you weren't blocking pucks back then either. The arm pads, and chest protector weren't all that good. Nope. So when you got hit, it actually hurt. It was so a glorified sure catcher's you, equipment. It was like a yeah, nice you wanted, Yeah. You wanted to make sure you caught the puck if you could. So that was part you didn't of have, it too. You didn't have the, the the inserted knee guards that you know the top for the tops of your knees and your pads. If you hit if you got hit the top of the knee, you, you're gonna. If you hit got hit on the top of the knee. It hurt. Yeah. If you got I'm hit on the elbow, rip. it hurt. Yeah, fucks yeah. fucks so, to the elbows. I was just thinking about looking at those old chest protectors. I really meant it. It's like it's like a glorified heavy sweater. Uh, I think the catchers today in baseball have more more padding than that. Yeah, it's about the same. But yeah, you weren't real excited if you got drilled in the chest. No. <laughs> Heart stopper, you know, um, but man, that 87 year, man, you played a ton of hockey. So from you know what? It was a fun year. Cause I, you play all the Canada cup games plus a few of the exhibition games when we got done with Canada cup. And then uh, what did I play? 75 regular season games. 
and then playoff games sprinkling another 19 playoff games so i think <laughs> i played about 120 games that year and not to mention you won your vesna that year i mean to get recognized as a top goalie has got to be a great feeling obviously you knew you're one of the best goalies in the world at that point or i mean everybody else did um you know you won everything there could be that year um and you know what it, it's frustrating because you came up sank it in the heart voting right so not too shabby to lose to a guy named wayne but still yeah, you oh, know sorry. What? No, no, sorry. Mario won that year. Mario won it, Mario won it that win. year. So, I mean, that, that's a win in itself. You, you finish ahead of Gretzky. That's, that's a win in my books, man. <laughs> Getting to play 75 games was a win. I mean, I think that was the fun part is that that's the first year I get a chance to play as much as I could and to see if I could actually do it. So that was a big thing. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gretzky. Mitts is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are... Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie-cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitts is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. Did you do anything and, and, different preparing for that year to stay healthy, or was it just a matter of getting, you know, good bounces and not getting those fluky shots that end up, you know, putting you on the putting you in the stands? No, you just played. I mean, some days you played where things hurt, but you played. I mean, that's just the way the position was at that time. 
and the fact that you didn't want anybody else playing so that they didn't cut into your time. So if you were hurt, it didn't matter. You just kind of bit the bullet and played. So you went with the same ideology when you first, when you put the pads on for the first time, like, Hey, I'm never going to come off. Like literally you, you went with the mindset, your entire career. I, I don't want to leave this net. That's one of those. If they're leaving me there, I'm staying. So exactly. I think it was just before Christmas was the first time I had a night off or just after Christmas, but we'd played in Hartford the two nights before, but got delayed getting out of Hartford and everything. And we get in about four or five in the morning and they let Daryl Ray play that night. This is my first night off. Hint Razor was first star that night. So some tough it, shoes to fill for him, no doubt. I don't think he played it, again it, for about another two months after that. <laughs> you gotta make it, 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 it when you it, get it, in there. It, it, and Cully, it's crazy too because he had such a resurgence later in his career. You think like things would, uh, you know, you think things would kind of tail off as you got older, especially at that position. In '95, '96, you played 79 games, Grant. 79 <laughs> games. A little disappointed I didn't get all 82. Jesus. <laughs> You're they, honestly, as a machine. Honestly, at that point, my coach said, fuck it, just give him the next three games. Why, why, why even bother taking him out? Well, I was the, if I hadn't twisted a knee in Detroit one night, actually an afternoon game, I might have got all 82 in. That must have been wild. I would have loved to have seen that. And you played well, man. So let me ask you this. We, you, you get traded. You, you play in a, a big market, you know, hockey crazy city like Edmonton. And then, you, you know, you go from there to Toronto. What was it? I mean, they're both Canadian teams. You know, Toronto's now considered, like, the hockey capital of the world, whatever it may be. What was that like going into Toronto? Did, did you enjoy it there? Or, or, you know, you only spent a year there, right? I spent just about two years there, just a little over two years. But it was a fun city to go to. I mean, growing up as a kid, you got Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. And being out west, we got mostly Toronto games. So, as a little kid, I watched the Leafs all the time. And the fact that if I couldn't play in Edmonton, the next best place that I wanted to play would be Toronto. So, for me – it was a bad team at that time, but it's a great city to go play in. So after that, you get traded to Buffalo. And I was, I was a, a, like a two or three year old, but that's when I remember my brother telling me about you. And we used to play mini sticks and, and, you know, I would be the announcer kind of commentating it. And I remember, you know, he would always want to be Grant Fear. And, you know, that's how your name became, you know, embedded in my memory and somebody that I looked up to, um, you know, not only seeing my brother's card collection of all having all your cards, but, you know, watching some of the old clips. So, I mean, it's cool. It's an honor to have you on that. And I can't thank you enough. So, um, well, my pleasure. I, we love it. Three goalies, one mic today. Um, so we have yeah, right? come into the Sabres and man, I like to think that, you know, you guys have that, that big win against Boston. Right. And for Buffalo fans, that was big. And you guys, um, you know, you kind of helped instill the, the winning attitude in, in the city and the organization. And like Dwayne had mentioned, having Dominic Asha come in, you know, did you enjoy your time in Buffalo? I did. I had a lot of fun. We had some good hockey teams there too. I mean, you have to, we beat Boston. If Alex and Patty don't get hurt, I think we had to beat Montreal too. I mean, we lost, what, we lost four straight, but every game was in overtime and they were all 4-3. So, I mean, we had work. We just the two game breakers that we had on our team both got hurt. That was part of our problem. And we dealt with that a lot here in Buffalo, especially on, from the end of Patty, because Patty had dealt with the concussion issues for quite some time and eventually ended his career. Um, I'm convinced, honestly, in 96, 97, when we first moved into the new arena, you know, back then Marine Midland Arena, 
I, I personally think with how well Hashik, you know, that, that was the first time Hashik won the heart and he won the Vesna, obviously, that year too. And I'm convinced if Patty doesn't go down in the beginning of the season, like we might win the whole thing that year. That's how good Dom was that year. Um, Dom, was un- but, Dom was unbelievable that year. Um, unbelievable, yeah. And, you know, that you know that was the first of back-to-back heart awards. I mean, I think he won six Vesnas in eight years. Um, it's just those teams after Patty and Alex left, they just – you know, you, you didn't continue to build around Dom. You know, you, you never you never think build around a goalie. You know, with how good he was, but we, the, you know, ownership or management just never decided to give him the team in front of them that they need they needed to win a cup. Kind of like what you had in Edmonton. You know, you were a Hall of Fame goaltender and you, 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 you were you know elite in your time. But you, like you said, you also had the talent in front of you. You know, to win to win games. You know. You know, well, we, you know, we played you, a little different style. We decided yeah. that we were going to be an offensive team where you can go out and score goals and then we'll just deal with whatever happens in our end. And with a guy like Dom, Buffalo tried to win every game 2-1. Yeah. And it, it didn't give him a lot of support. If they had added some players where they could have gone out and scored three or four a night, they'd have had a chance because Dom would have kept them to less than that. Oh, for sure. And it's – like I said, it's wild to look at now – were you there? I, I, I haven't looked. Were you there during the, the Alex's defection to the to the states? Were you in Buffalo when that happened, or was that before you? No, I came in afterwards. Jesus, did you ever hear that story? Oh, I from Alex. Alex and I spent <laughs> a lot of time insane. hanging out together in Buffalo. I heard a story, and maybe you've heard this too. I'm sure you've heard. Was it was it true that he got stranded on the 33 in Buffalo and the? Uh, the the police picked him up. I'm not sure if he was he was wandering around down on the 33. The police picked him up and had t- to take him back to Don Luce's house because that's the only words he knew in English was Don Luce. Don Luce. Now that I don't know. <laughs> I've heard the story. He was stranded on the 33. He, he was out somewhere and he, I don't know if he got kicked out or he left. But you know he's you know they they picked him up on the on the on the 33. He's like where are you? He kept saying Don Luce, Don Luce, Don Luce. The only words he knew in English, and they eventually figured it out who he was and took him back to Don Luce, where he was living at the time. With Alex, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> Just a phenomenal guy. I mean, we're, I'm lucky enough I could spend a lot of time with Alex in Buffalo. Where, that's when we that's awesome. At, when we weren't at the rink, we played golf together. How'd you feel about this year, him getting snubbed again for the Hall of Fame? It's going to happen. I mean, it's unfortunate <laughs> he didn't get in this year, but it's going to happen. And Alex was Look too up. good a player for him not to get in the Hall of Fame. Look how long it took Andrew Chuck. It took Andrew Chuck a long time. It's take it took Lenny Anderson a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a matter of time before Alex gets in. Yeah, and you know, again, I, I just you look at it. You look at his numbers too, and just you know the career he had, the seventy six goal season, he had a couple fifty goal seasons, a couple hundred point seasons, has a cup. Just just the dynamic player he was, and just his story of how he had to get here to begin with is Hall of Fame in itself. And, you know, I love, I love hearing that story. It's awesome. Oh, no, it's phenomenal. For everything he went through to be as good a player as he was, is phenomenal just in itself. That's great. How good of a golfer is he? He's a pretty good player, too. He's probably single digits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I oh, yeah. love he it. Get, he can get it around. That's awesome. Um, well, I now, wanted to ask uh, you. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dwayne. No, no, go ahead. Go, buddy. So I, I just saw here that in my notes, um, you still hold the record for most points by a goaltender season with 14. I think it was 83, 84. 
you know, was that you moving the puck or was it, you know, some of them just stopping it behind? You remember that? And, and you know, puck handling, you know, part of your game, you know, helped, you know, revolutionize. I'm sure you gave Marty Berdur, you know, some inspiration. And I, I, I remember hearing different goaltenders, you know, that came through in the, in the this past 20 years, you know, talk about how, you know, you being that, you know, money goaltender, you know, is an inspiration for them. So that year handling the puck, anything that sticks out to you? Uh, you know what? I learned how to handle the puck. My first year in the league, I was horrible at it. I mean, most of the guys I played with, I'll tell you, I was terrible at it too. <laughs> so we'd learned where you had to kick rebounds just by the way our team played. You had different traffic patterns. So you learn to kick rebounds in the right spot. You learn to pass pucks into spaces where guys are going, not where they're standing. So you learn to handle a puck a little bit, learn to read the game. And by doing that with the offensive team we had, managed to run up some numbers. Leave the puck behind. Leave the puck behind the net for Wayne Gretzky. He goes on to end scores. Oh no, that's cough. If cough's <laughs> on the ice, you leave the puck behind the net for him. You know, <laughs> you know that must have been awesome to have. You know, playing with him not only in the Canada Cup, but in in uh, you know Edmonton those years. What was it about his game that that made him such a special defenseman? Because I didn't get to see a ton of his game, but you know, obviously he's synonymous with one of the best defensemen of all time. You know right up there with, you know, Lindstrom and Bork and, and those guys, you know, you played with or against a lot of these guys. Is he the best defenseman that you've ever played with? Offensive defenseman, yes. There's no question. Koff was a force on his own. One, he's probably the best skater I ever played with. So just by the way he could skate, he could control the game. And the fact that whatever liabilities he was defensively, he picked that up offensively, which forced teams to play a little more defensive against them because – with him on the ice, if you got a little too creative, Koff could burn you at any given time. So that was his way of playing defense. Yeah, I, I, I think defense is a good offense, you know. So it, works, I, uh, it works for us. Yeah, right. And I mean, you have the hardware to prove it. Um, now, after your, your career with Buffalo, obviously you went out, you know, to St. Louis. And we talked about, I talked, mentioned earlier that 70, 79 uh, games played season. Um, you know, did, did you have a lot of doubters coming into those later years? You know, if you could still do it, you know, at the, at, at the level, at that same level and be a starter at that same level, because like I said, I look at your numbers in Buffalo and St. Louis, they were good numbers and running at that age and playing that amount of games, you know, not many guys even today with how, how hard and how well trained and, you know, the dieting in today, uh, in hockey today, not many guys can can do it to that level at that age. I remember Ryan Miller we had here in Buffalo, and I remember he played 60 games in one season or whatever it was, and he complained about being winded at the end of the year. Here you are, you know, at you know, your late 30s playing 79. Yeah, you can say it. I'm an old man at that time. <laughs> you're, you're playing 79 games. It's, it's just wild. Like, you know, the, the, like what was, your, what was your conditioning like to get ready for stuff like that, especially at that age? You know, I, I always carried a little bit of extra weight going into training camp, so you had something to burn as the year went on. But it's my, mostly mind over matter. I mean, you get tired when your mind gets tired. So if you can keep your mind fresh, your body's going to follow. And I think that was the biggest thing is you didn't let the mind get tired. If you needed a day off, you took a day off of practice. You didn't take a day off of a game. If you wanted to get away from the game, you got away from the game for a few hours. It was just a matter of trying to keep the mind fresh, and the body listens very well. Uh, and, you know, it's nice that you had – I mean, obviously you had coaches that agreed with you, you know, because 
I can't imagine, you know, my goalie coming up to me is like, hey, I need a, I need a day off from practice. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I need a need time away from hockey. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I would, you know, I would oblige him, but like, I, you know, back then at the professional level, I couldn't imagine like many coaches, like, what, what do you mean? You can't practice. No, no, get out there. You know, uh, I mean, well, you know what? I like, I like to practice every day, but the days that you needed a little break, it might be 10 minutes. And then I'd go in and they brought a guy in, Bob Kersey, to train the U.S. track team. So I'd go in and stretch and recover with him. So that your body was always under maintenance, which made it a lot easier and it made it a lot more durable. Yeah. Now, I, um, I, I have one quick question for you about you played with some of the all-time greats. Um, what was in, in during practices? We, we, you know, we talk all the time, you know, with, with Dwayne being a, a Dominic Kashuk fan, you know, did you have any, you know, you you seem like you're a competitor, a battler at heart, and and you know how much better did that make you practice against those guys in Edmonton? And did anybody, you know, who I guess my question turns out to be a two-parter. You know, what was it like practicing with those guys, and who was the best, or hardest to stop of all the guys that you played with and against? You know what, our whole team was hard to stop because the guys were good, and they wanted to score, and we didn't want them to score. I mean, I think that was what made our team so good is you didn't want to give up any goals in practice. And we'd have certain drills where if they didn't score, they had to skate. If they did score, the goalies had to skate. So it was ultra competitive, which made us better, which made them better, which we also had some little competition to it. So it was fun at the same time. I love this. Yeah, like, hey, Grant, if you, if you can't stop Wayne or Paul over there, you got to skate. Like, how about some pressure for there? Hey, just keeps the game fun. Keeps Put the a little pressure fun. on practice then so you're focused. Oh, I, I, I believe it. Um, now, if you're having a bad day, you're going to be tired. Yeah, well, hey, there's no better feeling than, you know, I remember in those drills, no better feeling than stoning a guy and, and, and then watching them skate as you, you kind of rest on the net, you know. Love that well, feeling. I miss that. Problem is, you know, payback's coming at some point. Yeah, you might get a couple high heaters coming at you next drill. Now, um, Grant, I, I know that you got to run here in, 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 in a minute here. Um, I, we really appreciate your time. I just wanted to ask you, you know, you've joined when you when you hit that 400th career win. You look at the names on that list: Terry Sawchuk, Yak Plant, Tony Esposito, Glenn Hall, Patrick Waugh. I think Brodeur has joined that list, right? Since then, yep. I mean, that's some elite company, man. Have you ever gotten the chance at different events, whether it be the Hall of Fame or different alumni games, to you kind of talk shop with those older goalies? And and you know, any anybody stick out to you as you know an older goalie that you kind of you looked up to? You know what? I'm fortunate enough to have Glenn Hall is a good friend of mine. Wow. We, he grew up about, he lives about three miles where I grew up from. So Imagine the butterfly. The, the chance that I get to see him every year, get a chance to talk to him and have some fun is awesome. It, as a young kid, I got a chance to meet him. So it, partly meeting him is part of the reason I wanted to be a goalie. That's awesome. That is so cool. I mean, we, we are blessed to have you on here. One of the best to ever do it. And it's, I, I know our listeners are going to get a big kick out of this. You just giving us a behind the scenes look at, at what those teams were like. Uh, Dwayne, you got, you got anything else? Yeah. Just, you know, you look at, you know, okay. Look at today's goaltenders and obviously with the exception of equipment and size, like, you know, you know, you weren't, you weren't a small guy at all. I mean, how do you feel you would have measured up in today's NHL compared to when you played, you know, where it was more wide open, more offensively driven, 
Um, you know, today, you know, the scoring isn't obviously nearly as high as it used to be. Like, how do you feel like you would have fared? I think we'd have been fine. I mean, it's just a matter of learning the way the game is being played. I mean, in the 80s, it was offensive. The 90s, it started to go more defensive. By the time I finished in 2000, it was kind of a combination of the two. So you learn to play different styles. And you play against the Russians. Yes, they're offensive, but they look for the perfect shot. So it's a matter of just learning the different styles that teams play and the different way the game's played. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, sorry, Dwayne, I just want to ask really quick. You, you mentioned how, you know, you were a part of, you know, you were still in the league. You lived through the, the, the position changing. And, you know, we see now that, you know, it's you know, everybody, almost everybody plays, you know, a, a dominant butterfly style. And we see the evolution with how, you know, post play is done differently. Where back in your day, it was, you know, stand on your feet, you know, kind of square up to the shooter. Now in that transition to, you know, the regular VH with the post knee up. And now it's the reverse VH with the, you know, the post leg down with the lean and seal. Um, you know, besides that, as the position's changed, who do you think, you know, you have, are you a fan of anybody now? If you, if you had to say your favorite goalie that's playing right now, do you have an answer for that? A big fan of Kerry Price, though. I mean, I think he's kind of the hybrid between the two systems where he can butterfly, but he also stands up a fair amount, too. So I think he's kind of the perfect hybrid right now. And just the way that he moves, he's a physical specimen, and he's so calm with his game, but still so athletic. I talk about no wasted movements a lot when I'm teaching goalies, and yep. Price is a perfect example. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful game to watch when he plays. It is, and I think that's the way the game's going. Is you're going to see more and more hybrids, where you're not going to be able to just butterfly and be one dimensional. You're going to have to be able to move, and athleticism is coming back to being a goalie again. So you see that with Carter Hart, same yes. thing. He's yep. very athletic. So you're starting to see more and more of that. And, you know, that, that, that's good for guys, you know, guys who maybe aren't as big, say, as, you know, you know, who aren't 6'4", coming or 6'5", you know, because, you know, you know, back then when you played or, you know, even when Dom played, you know, you, you, could, you could be successful in the league at, five, you know, 5'10", five you know, 5'11", 6'. You can still be Today. successful in the league at 5'9", five, 5'10". Oh, yeah. five, it's just that they, now it's harder for them to give you a chance. Everybody thinks it only has to be six five. Yeah, you don't even get you don't even get a sniff these days. If you know, you know, they they they're more concerned about size than you know than anything else, rather than the ability to play. And like 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 you said about Carey Price, like I I love watching him play too because he's the perfect example. Like you said of a hybrid guy, the guy who is a perfect uh, the the perfect combination of athleticism, kind of like you know going back to when you played. You know, I the best athlete on the ice essentially. And size and positioning, you know, I, I love watching him play too. It's just a shame, honestly, that Montreal really has yet to put the team in front of him to, you know, get him the accolades he deserves. I agree with that. And if you give me a guy that's 5'10 and athletic, he can play in the National Hockey League. You don't have to be 6'5". No. I was, uh, I, I was not the benefactor of that, you know, train of thought. And my three draft years, I think uh, there was one guy drafted under six foot tall, and I'm very happy to see – you know, over the past couple of years that, you know, that, that shift in thinking, um, you know, that, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are. If you're a good athlete, if, if you're a good skater, if you can you know, process the game well, it doesn't matter how big you are. So I know that, you know, in the, in the early, to, you know, in the late 2000s with, you know, turning into the 2010s, you know, it was that thinking that you need to be a big guy. So really happy to see that um, you don't need to be 6'4 to be a special goaltender. 
No, I think part of the reason guys got so big and everybody wanted to draft them so big is that's what goalie coaches had learned how to coach. Yeah. They hadn't learned how to coach somebody that's small that actually had to read the game and move. So part of that is on the goalie coaches. Yeah, Love it. and goalie coaches, like we said earlier, the goalie coaches didn't really exist back when you played. And uh, I just love to see how you how you yourself would have handled in this era of hockey with the athlete you were, how well conditioned and ready and ready to play you were. And on top of that, the bigger equipment, the lighter equipment, just the different style of play. I'd have loved to see how you would have ended up in today's game because that would that would have been something to see. Seeing how good you were back then on those Oilers teams, especially, and transitioning to these teams with all that all those extra advantages goalies have now today. It would have been fun to try. I mean, the lighter equipment for one would have been a lot easier on the body. But you know, it was fun because you had to learn the game, and I think that was the best part of it is not having a goalie coach. You learn the different systems and you learn the game yourself. So you could coach yourself. Self-taught. Self-taught, yeah. Like, even when we and Johnny played, we didn't have goalie coaches. Those weren't around. Everything, no. you know, at least for me, I didn't have a goalie coach. Like, well, what's a goalie coach? Um, you know, that, 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 that in particular, too, is, like, I think something that would have benefited me, you know, growing up. Because I, I started playing at a later age. But um, I, that's, that's one thing I wish I would have had was, you know, uh, better direction at the position and how to handle myself off the ice training and, and et cetera. Um, that would have been nice to have. But um, what, the one last question for me off, off top of the goaltending, obviously you have a guy by the name of Alex Ovechkin chasing down y- your buddy Wayne there. Do you think that he has it in him, has enough left in the tank to uh, get, you know, get, that, get that all-time goals record? I thought there was a chance up until COVID hit. I mean, the fact yeah. that he's not going to finish this year and he's not going to get the 50 this year, means somewhere over the next six years, he's going to have to have a year of 65 or 70 goals. And I'm not sure that that's going to be available in the NHL. Yeah. And you know what? He's the one thing about him though, he has always been able to stay healthy and play at a high level. I mean, always plays at a high level, but he's always stayed healthy over the course of his career. I, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see it because I think that's something that, you know, hockey needs to see, you know, he's that, just, good, a goal, he's that good a goal scorer, but it, once you get to that 37, 38 year old range, staying healthy is going to yeah. be hard. He plays a heavy game too. He doesn't shy away. He's not that traditional, you know, superstar. He's a, not a perimeter guy. He finishes his hits. And you bring up a good point that I, I really hadn't considered that you take away, you know, this time away from him this season, those 10 goals hurt, you know, or those 20 games, whatever it may end up being. So, I mean, that's a great point. Um, I had one last question for you, Grant. I know we have we have quite a few younger goaltenders, you know, and up and coming, a few even, you know, OHL draft picks and you know, NCAA commits that listen to our show. Um, if you could give any advice to it to a younger goalie uh, that's coming through that has aspirations of playing professionally and in the national, uh, what would you tell them? Or, or you know, even even what would you tell a younger your younger self? You got to believe in yourself first and foremost, and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And then. Biggest thing I was taught is you're always better on your feet. If you go down and make a save, get up. I think that's the biggest thing I was taught as a kid is the first save, everybody can go down and make a first save. It's the second and third save. Well, the best way to make a save on a second and third save is back on your feet. So the faster you can get back up, the more mobility you're going to have. Well said, man. Very well said. I think that our listeners are going to get a, a real treat out of this, man. That it's one of the best to ever do it, you know. And your teammate Wayne Gretzky said, "The best goaltender to ever do it, man." And that's high praise coming from the best to ever lace up the skates and, and play, you know, 
any position that's not goalie. So um, really, really honored to have you on and, and, and spend this time with us and, and giving our listeners a you know, sneak peek into what it was like winning those cups and playing in the, the best hockey ever played that Canada Cup in 87. It was my pleasure, guys. Absolutely. And I hope next time you get, uh, you get, if you ever find yourself here in Buffalo, you know, you let us know, maybe we can meet you out for a drink or maybe some, uh, some good old famous Buffalo food. It's definitely a deal. There's nothing better than the wings in Buffalo. Love to hear yeah. that. So our listeners. Where's your, where's your spot? Where's your spot real quick? Where's your spot in Buffalo? I still go to the anchor bar. The anchor, oh, I like the anchor bar, but there, I'll tell you right now, Grant, there are so many good, I'm not going to say better places, but really good places, especially, uh, you know, Gabriel's Gate, uh, Bar Bill, some unbelievable wings, man. It'll blow your mind. So next time you come okay. to Buffalo, well, you give us a heads up. We used to go to Sinatra's we'll all the time. Sinatra's? It used to be great. I've never, I've never been there. Um, where I don't did, think where it's did there Clint, anymore. Where did Clint say he went? Rudy's? Was it called Rudy's? Yeah. Uh, Rudy's. Yeah. Rudy's was his spot. I'm not, I, I, I think I've heard of it, but I've never been there. Okay. Yeah, I'm still an old-fashioned guy. I still like the Anchor Bar. Yeah. You can't bar. go wrong with the Anchor Bar. And no, you, you can't go wrong with Grant Fear and the Pipes. One of the best ever do it, a Hockey Hall of Fame inductee. And, you know, multiple Stanley Cups on his resume. Canada Cup. International success. And, you know, had success after his career. Grant, once again, on behalf of all of our listeners, we appreciate you spending time with us. And, you know, good, good luck, good health to you and your family. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on when hockey returns sometime, man. So, really, again, thanks again. It's my pleasure. You guys have a good day. You too. Thanks right. again. Thanks, Grant. Take care. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.